Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. We are located in 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Love to have you come and worship with us one Sunday. We're so excited about what the Lord is doing. You know, I always like to start off the broadcast with some really bad dad jokes. As a matter of fact, Sunday after church, one of my members handed me a little bag and says, well, Pastor, I've got a gift for you. And uh, she said, go ahead and open it. And I opened up this gift and it was a pair of socks. And I says, hey, great, these are nice socks. And I got looking at those socks and on the socks it says, bad dad jokes. And uh, dad jokes are bad jokes. And so I'm gonna be wearing those next Sunday. So come on out and see me so you can see my bad dad joke socks. And uh, they're just amazing, I tell you what. But thinking about bad dad jokes, here's one right here. A truck was loaded with Vicks Vapor Rub and it overturned on the highway. Well, amazingly, there was no congestion for eight hours. Okay, now that was pretty bad, I admit. A really bad dad joke. Well, today I want to talk to you about the power of God's kingdom. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, kind of focusing in on verse number 33, talking about God's kingdom and the power of God's kingdom. Now, before we go too far, I want you to know that you can't have two number ones in your life. The fast food giant Burger King drew a whole lot of open criticism uh, several years ago when they were running an ad in Belgium. Uh, You see, the king of Belgium, King Philip, didn't want the competition of having two kings, but in 2017, Burger King set up its first location in Belgium. Burger King launched an online campaign that asked its users this question, who's the king? It allows them to vote for who they want to be their king a character version of the real Belgium king, Philippe, or the fictional Burger King. Two kings, one single crown, who shall reign? Asked the website. Well, unfortunately, the mock election caught the attention of the Belgium royal family, and a spokesman for the family noted its disapproval, stating, since it is for commercial purposes, we would not have given our authorization. It appears that the royal family agrees with Burger King on at least one thing. There can only be one king. Well, I want you to know there can only be one king in your life. And so we're going to be looking at that subject today, the power of God's kingdom. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And as we look at this passage, I remind you, this particular passage is given by Jesus. It's the sermon that he's giving about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, beginning of verse number 24, no one can serve two masters. And I doesn't say it's hard to do this. He says you can't do this because you're going to either hate one or love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus continues by saying, therefore, I tell you, now don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? Then Jesus says, well, look at the birds of the air. Now, they don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't store away in their barns. And yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. And he says, are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they grow? They do not labor, they do not spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God is able to clothe the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe 
You, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And then we close with verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, as we look at this particular passage, we know that a lot of people gathered around listening to Jesus give this message. Probably one of the most prominent groups that was gathered there was the Pharisees. Somebody said this about the Pharisees. The Pharisees taught by the yard, lived by the inch, and ended up getting booted by the foot. That basically means is they had a big, long message to give. It was a message that was all-encompassing, that covered every area of your life, but they couldn't even live up to their own standard. And as a result, they were rejected. Now, if you're not living for Christ, I want you to know that your life is falling apart even if you think you're winning. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees had this idea that the more of the letter of the law they followed, the closer they would be to God. But their problem was they were living for their own kingdom. Now, Jesus had a whole lot to say about kingdom. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a kingdom that he referred to many times. So today in the broadcast and then tomorrow, I want to talk to you about what is God's kingdom, why should I live for God's kingdom, And what is the benefits of living for God's kingdom? You see, the kingdom was so important that Jesus mentions it 126 times in the ESV translation. You know, Jesus clearly wanted to grab our attention. He wanted to focus our gaze on the kingdom. However, the kingdom, I want you to know, is not necessarily a place that is floating around in the heavenly realm. The kingdom of God in the Bible is simply God's redemption and God's rule and reign in our lives. It is used interchangeably throughout Scripture for kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. So when you see those two phrases talking about the same thing, the word kingdom points directly to God, you know, God's kingship, his rule, his sovereign governance over all of creation. Now, in order to understand how we should seek first the kingdom of God, we must know the king. Jesus is the kingdom personified. The kingdom of God came to us through the son of God. You know what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago? Made it possible for us to be part of his kingdom. God's redemptive rule and reign sent Jesus as a ransom for many. Now, we learn in the Bible that humility, uh, humanity rather, is sinful by nature and by choice. You know, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were created as worshiping beings to reflect God. However, when sin entered the world, It stained our souls, and our worship became swayed away from God. We no longer wanted to worship Him. We not all of a sudden wanted to worship anything but Him. You know, Jesus states in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Why? Because you're going to hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Uh, That's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above and not on earthly things. So the kingdom of God is pursuing things that are above, not on earthly things. I remember growing up, a lot of times people would say, well, that person is so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly value. 
I don't understand how you could ever be so heavily minded that you're of no earthly value because my experience is that those who thought most of heaven have always done most here on the earth. Uh, They realize that their job on this earth is not for pleasing themselves and not just for amassing a bunch of wealth and amassing a bunch of followers on social media. Uh, They realize that it's not just about having a big house and a big job and a lot of responsibility and a lot of people under them. They understood that seeking the kingdom of God means I want to get as many people to know Jesus as I possibly can. You know, you will find no more fulfillment in life than exercising and following God's will for your life. So when we think about the kingdom of God, there's a pursuit that is involved. And with that pursuit, there is a promise. So we seek first the kingdom of God, and there's a promise that is added unto you. Now, I want you to know that it's not exactly how we think of cause and effect promises, right? Uh, Maybe the best way to understand this is think about your children. When they come home at night and it's time for dinner, you gather around the table and you provide for your children. You give them a meal. Now, I don't think that you'd sit down with them prior to giving them this meal and say, now, Johnny, uh, let me tell you about today and let me see what you've done today and, and let me see if you are worthy of this meal that I'm providing for you. If you've worked real hard today, then you're going to get this meal. If you haven't pursued my kingdom and worked hard for me, then you won't get this meal. Uh, you know, any parent that would live that way would be a very bad parent. Parents provide for their children, but parents also give a responsibility to their children. Listen, sometimes you get so discouraged wondering how you're going to get everything to come together. And so I have learned to quote scripture. Even when I mess up, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Even when I fall short of the glory of God, my God is going to take care of me. He's going to protect me. You see, perfection is not what God is after in our lives. He is asking us to seek him first. He realizes that we are highly flawed individuals and that we will mess up. We will fall short of the glory of God. We are saints that sin, and when we sin, we confess and we turn from our sins. Well, let's probe deeper into what this kingdom is. You know, kingdom is always a territory. It is a a king that will reign over that territory. Now, since we understand that God is the creator of all things, the extent of his reign must be the whole world. Manifestly, then, the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. And since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God is everywhere. But we know that God has relinquished some of the control of his kingdom and allowed Satan to have temporary control. He is called the prince in the power of this air, under permission, under the jurisdiction of God's kingdom. We also know the kingdom of God is a place. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is giving many parables about the kingdom, and there's eight actually found in Matthew's gospel, talking about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's a radically different place than what most Christians are really familiar with. It's a kingdom uh, where you can't be good enough to get into it. So it's a place, but it's a place that is provided by God himself. There's also an invisible element to this kingdom. Uh, Now, this makes it a little bit of a challenge, right? Because how are you going to respond to a kingdom that you can't see? Oh, I want you to know that we respond all the time to invisible things. You ever walk into a room and your wife gives you that look? Uh, You know, you you don't see anything wrong. Uh, You can't think of anything that you've done wrong. But you know, right now, uh, she has just sucked all the atmosphere out of that room. And those eyes are cut at you. You know that you're in a world of trouble. As a matter of fact, last Sunday when I was giving this message in the early service, uh, I stood up and and after I gave my really bad dad joke, I I noticed that one of our members gave me that look. 
And I says, I said, what's going on here? I said, did I say something wrong? Well, she said, well, I wasn't giving you the look. Uh, her son was sitting a couple of rows over in the front, and apparently he was acting up a little bit. And so Mama Bear was cutting her eyes at her son, and I thought she was doing it to me. Uh, but you can see that there's an invisible thing that's going on. And her son, Jonathan, immediately knew that he better straighten up because mama's eyes were cutting at him. You know, you think about this invisible kingdom. Many years ago, I did uh, an internship in Chicago, Illinois. Spent 10 weeks in Chicago. Had a great summer ministry. I was just a young guy and wasn't even married at that point. And, and I was trying to find myself, I guess. And I really thought at that time in my life that God was going to use me in inner city ministry. And I really had a love and a desire to be in inner city ministry. And so a team of us uh, spent 10 weeks uh, in a uh, church in Chicago, right in the inner city part of Chicago, and uh, had a wonderful summer. Well, one day as I'm out visiting with some people, I was getting kind of thirsty. And so I went to a, a door that I thought was an entrance into a convenience store. And I know I should have known something was up, right? Uh, because it had a little buzzer thing that you had to push, like a little doorbell, in order to get into this little store. So I pushed the little doorbell, and uh, they popped the door open and let me in. And, and as soon as I got into that uh, particular convenience store, I said, oh, my, oh, my, I'm not in the right place. And I could sense the evil within that particular store. Uh, you see, that was a store that was selling things of ill repute, and uh, that's why they had the buzzer and they had cameras in there. Uh, they wanted to make sure that the police weren't coming in there to do a raid, or uh, they wanted to make sure that certain people weren't getting into their business. And, uh, and so as I got in there, as soon as I got through those doors, I could sense the evil. Now, now you've been there, haven't you? It's invisible, but you can feel it. Uh, sometimes when I come to church, I, I feel the opposite, right? I, I sense the presence of God in that place. And so the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom. That makes it a little bit of a challenge. But I want you to know that this is a kingdom that is, is not the church. Okay, there's a difference between the church and the kingdom. Uh, the church is called the bride of Christ. And the church is given a mission to carry out kingdom work. But the two are separate entities. They're very much intertwined. But kingdom work is what we do as believers in Christ. The church is who we are. We're the bride of Christ. You know, this invisible of work uh, that God does is somewhat of a covert kingdom, right? It's carrying out the work, but a lot of it is done in a mystery. And I'm not talking about hiding. I'm talking about this work that takes place many times, and we don't even see it taking place. You know, throughout the Bible, the illustration of yeast is used. Now, I'm not a very good baker. I don't bake things. I like to eat baked goods, but I don't bake baked goods. And, you know, the Bible says a little yeast leavens the whole loaf. And so whenever you get a little yeast into a loaf, you know that just a little bit of it will blow up that bread and give you a big loaf. Now, whenever the Bible talks about yeast, it's always talking about sin. A little sin is very disruptive. Now, if I can take the opposite view of what the kingdom work is, the kingdom work is in many ways disruptive. Now, you've heard of disruptive technology, right? Uh, disruptive technology is when a technology eliminates another technology. For example, cars taking the place of the horse and buggy, right? Or computers taking the place of typewriters. Oh, I want you to know that God's kingdom trumps my family, my finances, my culture, and sometimes it's disruptive to these areas. Now, I want you to know that when you think about this invisible kingdom— the Washington Post headline caught my eye last Thursday. Now, this is uh, 
in June of 2022. And so I was reading this Washington Post headline. And I want you to know that our culture really has become anti-kingdom of God. And what caught my eye on this particular article is that we're looking at a, a new practice that is being engaged in multiple romantic relationships. As a matter of fact, there's actually a, a new word that has come along. Well, it's been around for, I guess, maybe 30 years, and it's the word polyamore. Polyamore. We used to call it group marriage, or we used to call them swingers, right? And, uh, and many years ago, when I first began ministry, I was just a, a young guy uh, serving in the, as an associate pastor. And in a counseling session, uh, I was help, trying to help this couple. And, and as I'm trying to help this couple, they invited me into this weird kind of relationship. And, and I said, man, this, is, this, this was craziness that was happening. And I was shocked that this was actually within the church. And so we had to deal with it as a church. And I tell you what, it was gnarly, okay? Uh, because we're dealing with somebody who is going around and they're they're going under the guys that were having some marriage problems and they would talk to people. And as they were talking to people to help them within their marriage problems, they would invite them into group sex. And I said, this is nothing more than paganism coming into the church. Oh, I remember I got a schooling real quick. And, uh, and I had to learn that what we are fighting against today, we are fighting the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of God is greater. It's greater. And so as we think about the future that God has for us, I want you to know that researchers have come up with some phony baloney research. I saw another headline. I talked to you about the Washington Post headlines where they're characterizing couples being engaged in multiple uh, and typically sexual relationships uh, with the consent of all the people involved. And this really began back in the 1960s, okay? And uh, and some uh, psychotherapists are coming up with some crazy ways of dealing with it. And one psychologist said, we have the right to be with the ones that we love and share the resources that we would normally get to share in a monogamous context. And, And another headline that went along with it is that really shocked my brain was this, why more and more couples are turning to discreet affairs. According to the writer of this article, research has shown that the secret to a happy marriage is discreet affairs. Now, I would like to challenge that research. He doesn't cite any research at all. He just throws it out there. Nonetheless, he claims that affairs can add excitement into a marriage. Now, I've been doing marriage counseling for a long time. And I've discovered something about couples that are having a hard time in their marriage. Affairs are never good for them. It never helps their marriage. It doesn't help improve their marriage. I want you to know that we are living in such an unusual day that the American Academy of Pediatrics has released a new book titled Uology. Uology, right? Y-O-U-ology, a puberty guide for everybody. And it includes content related to kids who identify as transgender. For example, in chapter number three, a group of boys is gathered in a boy's locker room and realizes that a biological female is in the locker room as well. Well, they question why, and they're accosted by the girl's brother who explains, Oliver was assigned female at birth. That's why you may have known him in the past as Oliver. But Oliver is a boy, so that means he's transgender, 
He belongs in the boys' locker room as much as any of us do. And as you think about that, here we have the American Academy of Pediatrics. Now, you can't make this kind of stuff up. As we think about where our culture is, where are we supposed to go from here? We are being allured to the abnormal becoming normal. Normalization has been defined as the process through which wisdom becomes conventional. In the context of providing medical and social care for others, especially those who are often devalued by society, normalizing values and behaviors and experiences can help us dislodge some of the prejudices and the biases that both we and the general society at large hold against people who are different. So in this sense, it provides one of the most coherent and systematic ideologies to light the road for all human services. And as you think about this, we are going down this very slippery slope. You see, once an idea or a behavior becomes normalized, and we see this happening in many areas, once it becomes normalized, once that particular behavior becomes normalized, it becomes accepted, it becomes the, the rule of the day, and deviance then becomes actually part of our culture. Once you go down that process, you, you discover that that deviance and anybody who looks at that being abnormal, they are the ones that are abnormal. Now, as you think about what we've discussed so far in the broadcast, and we think about the contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the, uh, of the evil one who rules this world, we are told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, we can navigate in a very deviant culture. We don't have to succumb to it. As a matter of fact, the more I see our culture spinning out of control, the more we are able to identify with the early Christians, those believers who came along in that first century, and they were going against all kind of deviance. As a matter of fact, they were so entrenched in their culture for 400 years, God never even spoke to them. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes running, and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus comes along and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. So seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, maybe another way to understand this is thinking about center. On the back of my truck, I used to have the three letters GFW, God, family, work, having that right priority. Now, as you think about that, that's good to have that as a priority. But when you seek first the kingdom of God, it's not necessarily just putting him first on the list of priorities. It is putting him in the preeminence of your life. You think about a proton. Protons are bound together in, an, in a nucleus of an atom, and, uh, and it has a strong nuclear force. And neutrons, they go around the protons, and so don't electrons. But everything goes around the protons. Everything revolves around the protons. Maybe another way to think about it is if you have a baby and, and they have one of those mobiles and one of those things that turn around in their crib, and uh, we had one back in the day, and you had to crank it up, and then it would wear it on. You go back there and crank it up, and now they have the, the battery-operated one, so you don't have to keep going in and cranking them up, and everything rotates around one central force. Uh, when we think about that, we got to look at the kingdom of God as something that our entire lives rotate around. 
We don't rotate around exclusively our families, exclusively the church or the government or any of these things. The central driving force of our life is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you seek first my kingdom, all these things will be added unto you. That's the promise that is given. As we look at this kingdom, I want to challenge you to live the kingdom principles in your life. Well, join me tomorrow, and we're going to look at part two. Uh, Today, we've talked about what the kingdom is. We've talked about uh, why we should seek the kingdom of God. And so tomorrow, I want to talk to you about how do I seek the kingdom of God. And I'm going to give you some real practical steps that will help you to be a kingdom-minded person. So please join me tomorrow. Now, if I can help you with anything, uh, please give me a call at uh, 757-421-7500. And we also have a link now on our church website, hrcc7.org, hrcc7.org. And there's a link for the podcast. If you want to listen to Hope for Your Heart on the podcast, you can just pull up our church website and bring it right to it. So hrcc7.org and uh, just Hickory Ridge Community Church. If you Google in Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, our website will come up that way as well. Well, thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. Be safe as you're driving out there today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.